Welcome to We Been Had, show where we discuss, uh, debate, we, we talk about, we talk about albums for your listening pleasure. I am Keith Billy. And I'm Chad Cook. And uh, the deal, as always, is that we take turns picking an album and then we both dig into it. Um, this time around, it was your pick and you chose. I chose the Flame and Groovies album Teenage Head. Because I know you like things that are, that don't have the G in the end. <laughs> so I mean, the funny thing is, like, I absolutely never say any G when I'm talking. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I I've never loved that they went that they made the apostrophe choice there. Yeah, just on your behalf, I compiled a short list of other things that use Flamin. Okay. Um, so there's like a line of snacks: the Flamin Hot the Cheetos. Flamin uh, there's Dorito, Flamin' Hot Doritos. You knocked that off. <laughs> we had a dog attacking our audio equipment. There is a, allegedly, and I've never seen this, but online they claim there's a Flamin' Hot Mountain Dew. What What would be the point of this? <laughs> Excitement. <sighs> Insanity. Uh, there's a Nevada-based restaurant called The Bagel Nook. That has a sandwich. It's called the Flamin' Hot Overlord. Overload, sorry. Overlord is Overlord better, is good. Yeah. There's a Megan the Stallion song called Flamin' Hottie. Okay, that I can respect. Apparently there's a band in Minneapolis called the Flamin' O's. Yeah, yeah. I Somehow I heard of them before I heard of the Flamin' Groovies, and that just kind of created... So you're a you're a flaming O's man. I you know I mean they they are the OGs in my heart. Let me ask you this: um, Would you feel differently about the flaming lips if they were the flaming lips? Maybe, but they're so weird anyway. Yeah, that's really like that would just be one more thing, right? Like, yeah. Well, so and I think this is a thing we'll probably get into later, but th- them being in my head is like the archetype of a flaming ing band you know like i i always kind of expected these guys to be weirder because i think i expected them to be the flaming lips or close to the flaming lips yeah that that they're not yeah um so i uh, just a question for you my last one on my list is a research group for london-based filmmakers called the film london artist moving image network <laughs> okay acronym flaming yeah if you're gonna do a backronym that's the way to do it do you i mean do you hate that? No, that I, I respect that. Because there's no apostrophe. I am fine with leaving the G off. I say just man up and no apostrophe then. So you you like the not grammatically correct slang? Yes. If you're being rebellious, be rebellious. Don't be like rebellious, but then respect the rules of grammar. That's horseshit. That that's that's the weakest rebellion you can do. That's a that's a valid point. That is kind of. Because, I mean, you're saving the G, but if you add the apostrophe, like, have you really saved any time? No. No. <laughs> okay. Um, this one's going to be interesting because yeah. Keith's got a puppy that's, uh, this may require some attention yeah. during the oh, taping. He, you know, don't don't be surprised if we have to stop and come back in. But hopefully, I'm, I'm hopeful. Um I wrote out some Tombstone info on the record, uh, recorded nineteen, recorded and released in 1971 on Kama Sutra Records, which feels pretty try-hard label name. Yep, that's the 
That checks out. <laughs> um, recorded in January, uh, released in March. Kind of sounds like it, I think. Um, you know, and I, I don't really mean that as a slam, but this is this is not a studio polished job. This is. Yeah, I think that's. Uh, I mean, there is some like symmetry between I think blues and punk in that way. That yeah. It's sort of like one take and you're done. Yeah. Well, that's. Um, I want to get back to that actually. Um, Recorded at Bell Sound in New York City, produced by some guy named Richard Robinson, who I don't know anything about, and I could not find much about. He's got one. That's one of those names that's just kind of tough to go. Right. Yeah. It's uh. It, it it's sort of a dog problem. It. Uh, I enjoy that though. When you're like, you look somebody up, and you're like. He's a super basic name, and you look it yeah. up, and there's like, there's just no way you're gonna track this person down. Yeah, that's. I mean, I guess you can't buy that kind of anonymity. That's these right. Days. It's, yeah, it's it's a thing to be sought after. Um, would you care to do a quick description of the album? Yeah. So I mean, it it, it is uh, it is sort of you know kind of a sort of a cousin to maybe like a. Uh, Sticky Fingers or Exile on Main Street. Uh, it's a little more bluesy than rock. I think that's probably the difference between those two albums. But yeah. it it varies quite a bit um, from song to song. Yeah. Uh, and I think uh, my first note on the first song is sounds like the Rolling Stones with Wolfman Jack at the helm. <laughs> yeah, that, that sums it up pretty well. Yeah, I the, like the stonesiness of this absolutely jumped out to me, and then like, like I had that in my head, and then I, you know, when I started doing my reading, I saw like Jagger himself talks about it, and so I guess it's, it's just kind of out there. Yeah, it came out the same year as Sticky Fingers, I think. Yeah. So it's, it, it's just interesting that like one band they sort of went in opposite directions, right? Yeah, and it's fascinating to me that Jagger likes it because so to me like. I like this record a lot, um, but I, I felt like it really sounds like if you took the Stones, you know, at their creative peak and like cloned them, and took the cloned version and like removed all, like the mickness. Yeah, well, yeah, you know, just like all of the like artist, uh, all of the artistic ambition slash pretense, you know, just everything above rocking out. Um, you'd have you know this record and like, and I feel like. You know, Jagger can be a total putz, but like what he brings to the Stones is like he's the guy who's writing lyrics about, you know, novels about Satan and, you know, like he's the artistic poseur. And, and so it's just, it's fascinating that like he looks at the band that's almost identical, just missing that and is like, yeah, they got it. <laughs> I think I would say that's the big difference, though, is it's just not the, the lyrics and the. I don't know what the like the pizzazz isn't quite the same. Yeah, but there are a lot of really good songs on this album. There are, and it's no. I don't know. It's like it's an album I didn't even know about until maybe five or six years ago, uh, uh, when my brother-in-law gave it to me as a Christmas gift. That that's a that's a pretty cool gift. Yeah, yeah. It was not like I was kind of distantly aware just of the group. Like I'd read the name. You know, as like they were these punk precursors, and I just immediately was like, "Fuck them and their stupid name." Um, 
But then, like, Spotify, like, two or three years ago, Spotify threw slow death on my Discover Weekly, and, like, I really liked it. And, you know, to me, like, that was just, that was the band. It was, like, they had one really good song. And I guess that was, like, later than this and a different lineup. And Yeah, it's got to be, and I feel like we talk about this a lot, but this is a... It's got to be strange to be because you have to be a pretty high caliber musician to play this type of music. I feel, yeah. and just to have it really not go anywhere, like it, it feels like you're like television or something, right? Yeah. You're like you're lauded as this great influence that never sold any records. Yeah, I, I mean, I was thinking, um, you know, I, this is kind of, this is secondhand information, but according to Wikipedia, at least they were. You know, a lot bigger in Europe later on in their career. Kind of makes me feel like they're like the early '70s Pixies, where you know, like no one in America really gives a shit, but like music heads are into it, and for some reason it sells in Europe. And yeah, it, yeah. I wonder how that works, especially when you're talking about the '70s and yeah. how, how does the distribution work in Europe, but not here? Yeah. Like what's the no clue? What's the catalyst of? I don't even know really like when they say bigger in Europe, what does that I mean the UK that makes sense. Are we talking like French kids being like, ah, les grooves flamen? <laughs> Maybe uh, like West Berlin. Yeah. Maybe that's the you know, like it's a uh, Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. It's weird stuff. Very popular on the Isle of Man. <laughs> <laughs> so is it the Isle of Man or the Okay. This has nothing to do with anything, but I know one of those two aisles has like this great flag that's just like a rosette in the middle with three armored legs sticking out of it. Oh, I don't know. I don't know which one it is. But do you think it's either out of the Isle of Skye? No, it's one of those two. It's man or white. Okay. I don't remember which. I just I know one of them has a kick-ass flag. Um. <laughs> okay, so swinging back around to. <laughs> To the, the groovies. So like I said, I hear these guys cited a lot as a punk precursor. Um, and I can kind of see that, but it's weird because they are also so totally like a white guy blues band. And like the subsequent punk, you know, the, 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 there is no blues in punk <laughs> except like <laughs> in the mitochondrial DNA. Of it. Not true. Early Dead Kennedys was mostly blues. That could be true. Like... <laughs> I, I don't know if you're. No, I'm kidding. I, that is not. That is not accurate. I mean, you. you, I, you it could have been. I don't know. Honestly, I. Uh, I think I came to to a realization. I was like, I was sitting in like a dentist's office or something, and a B fifty two song came on, and I'm like, this is this sounds a lot like the Dead Kennedys, just produced differently. You're right. So I feel. Jesus. I feel like I've like unlocked some like uh, you know like some like dark realm where <laughs> you know like a like there was a there was a musical thought and it split and one side of it was the B fifty twos and the other side of it is Jello Biafria and the Dead Kennedys. Man, I I am never not going to hear that now it's, when, I, when I hear either band. It really surprised me because I was and I spent way too much time thinking about that like. <laughs> Okay, so which which path do you prefer of those two? Well, like, so I want to say the Dead Kennedys because I think that's cooler, but I can't remember the last time I listened to a Dead Kennedy song. 
Uh-huh. So maybe the B-52s because it's more listenable. I think I kind of, I, I think I like an equal number of songs from both bands, but I like the idea of the Dead Kennedys yeah, much yeah, better. Yeah, it seems it's, like, and Jello Biafra is a pretty cool guy. Like yeah, that's like, yeah. he's, I don't know. Can, I just, you know, the, the B-52s is kind of, it's sort of like a wuss jacket, right? You're like, yeah. like I'm a B-52s fan. Like, ooh. <laughs> are you then? <laughs> You're going to get stuffed into the back seat of the car. Right. Wuss. Um, so th- uh, throwing out um, 80s band that are, you know, that theoretically we can relate back to this. I had this thought listening to this that, like, this is kind of... This kind of sounds like the band the replacements wanted to be some of the time. You know, I think Westerberg also had like more going on lyrically, but you know, the replacements had this big strong like, yeah, we're just fucking drunk and rocking out and like that's this record. It it is. I mean, I think the replacements is just a little it's a little more rock focused. Yeah. And this is maybe a little more bluesy kind of yeah. Noodly with the guitar. That was the the last, you know, pre like album level thing I wanted to run by you. It's just the bluesiness of this, like, and this is probably maybe we'll come back to this as we talk. Maybe this is too big a thing, but just what do you feel about this thing, especially like as it stood in the early seventies of like white guy blues. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of hard for me to hate White Guy Blues because I really like like Led Zeppelin yeah. and you know like a lot of you know that sort of a lot of the classic rock songs are are based on blues riffs. Totally. So it, yeah. It's kind of hard for me to hate on the white the White Guy Blues. It's a weird thing where like I, I say I'm like you know I can't like like the best part of the Stones are the Stones doing this and you know and yeah like Zeppelin. Like uh, I feel like Zeppelin is like eighty percent this, and then twenty percent plant reading Tolkien. <laughs> yeah, Lord of the Rings. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. It's weird. I feel like it, it's like this thing that like can create great music, but does have like this failure mode that it can fall into. Um, yeah, that failure mode is called Blues Traveler. <laughs> yeah. Or Blues Hammer. Blues Hammer. The Blues Hammer. Basically, anyone who isn't the Blues Brothers who has blues in their name. Are you getting dogged? On the front? I'm pretty sure the dog just farted. That, that is a specialty of his. Oh, sorry about that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, that that's, that's him weighing in on... <laughs> yeah, he doesn't like blues, apparently. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I... It's tough. I, I don't know, you know, like, I don't think the concept of cultural appropriation even existed back then. And I think these guys, I'm sure, I, you know, I know in the case of the Stones, because Jagger has talked about it, and Richards has talked about it, that they were just like, they heard music, and they loved it, and wanted to try to play it, and that's kind of, no, that's where it went. And, like, that's that's a tough thing to... Tough to condemn that. Like, if you come yeah. across something and you like it and you're inspired by it, that... I mean, I think there's all kinds of ways that, that you can draw inspiration. Yeah. I, I guess I don't... You know, I, th- I think, you know, sort of the traditional blues where you're... You know, the, where the lyrical content is really, 
a downer. Like yeah. it's weird when you hear when you hear you know Robert Plant singing about you know the man trying to keep him down. Yeah. Like yeah. that doesn't really translate, but you know, in terms of a musical style, yeah. I mean, well, and and you know, I, I, I actually I went back and listened to some back episodes of ours, and we this this comes up a lot. But uh, Led Zeppelin are kind of like, like they're awesome, but they are kind of you know the the poster boys for taking it a step further by like just claiming the you know. I, I'm sure that I, I know they do say, "Oh yeah, we're inspired by the blues," but then they'll be like, "Oh, and we wrote when the levee breaks." Yeah, I mean that's. And I do think I mean that's maybe they're just honoring. There is sort of a blues tradition of covering other people's work and and playing. Get like you look at. Uh, so the Spotify version of this album has the the regular album and then it has a bunch of covers at the yes. end. Yes. And if you uh, Google the people that have done like a lot of these, like these Robert Johnson songs, like yeah. so many people have covered these songs. Yeah. It's amazing. I think the line is, you know, I, obviously I think covering is totally within bounds. You just have to admit that it's a cover and that's, you know, true. That's hard. That's, that's you know, that's, it's hard to see people kind of try to get away with that. Yeah. And that's the thing I was wondering, you know, they, there, there's, there's one Robert Johnson song on the, the, you know the main line of this album, and I see it now credited to Robert Johnson. And that was the thing I was wondering: was like, was that credit on there when it came out? Uh oh. Oh, and now it's back. Computer issue. Hang on. Anyway, I was saying, um, yeah, the, the the credit to Robert Johnson. I don't know if that was, or I, you know, I I like to think that was probably like credited on the original release. Um, Sometimes that shit gets added back in decades later. Nobody yeah, I think one of the challenges is, especially in the 70s, is you don't have the internet, right? Totally. So th- there is at least a chance that some of that could be an honest mistake, that they just don't know who to credit. And For they, sure. They list it as traditional or something yeah. like that. Yeah, and I, didn't, I got no beef with that. But yeah, I mean, it's obviously it's shitty to say that you did something that you didn't. Yeah. Uh, you know, I guess all of this is talking around. Like, I, you know, I don't know that they did anything bad with any of this. Like, they just they're they're very white bluesy in a way that like no one who isn't Jack White really does anymore. Now. <laughs> and I do feel like Jack White must go through like must wear out a copy of this album like every two months. Yeah, it does seem like this would be like his like this is you know Jack White putting his spin on on an album like this where he just yeah like this is you know, he's like i'm gonna do this but crank up the distortion yeah yeah if he announced that he was doing that and just like remaking this album like i would not only would not be surprised but i'd be yeah i think, it'd be, I think it would actually be really good yeah Oh, you got anything else on the the record as a whole, or do you no, know? no? I think um, Sweet. yeah. The the first song is kind of a middle finger to you, not like in the apostrophe at the end of the end. <laughs> Sons of bitches! It's a really good song, though. You know, despite despite its grammar, <laughs> despite its grammatical situation. High flying baby. I mean, like it's just this this. You know, people talk about a song having an undeniable groove and. The song has an undeniable groove. I feel like it just is a good opener too, because it's you know kind of sets the tone for 
for what the album is going to be. Yeah. You know, like we're, we're going to have just some rockers and we're going to, we're going to have some ballads and mm-hmm. you know, this is, this is the start. This, this one sounds, and I'm not like, this is no like plagiarism accusation here, but just the guitar on this sounds a ton like this R.L. Burnside song that was everywhere 10 years ago. Um, and you know, R.L. Burnside is like, an old enough blues guy that, you know, I, I don't know how, you know, he, w- he would have been, I think, active when this was happening, but I think it's like them drip dipping out of the same well. Um, you know, there's just, there's only so many things you can do with a guitar playing the blues. And yeah. I mean, do you feel like it's, I guess I never thought of the blues as being a like a particularly limiting style, but I think it's super limiting. Is it I've, is it just the chord progression that makes it limiting, or what? What do you think makes it so limiting? It's a combo of the yeah you know there, there's very structured chord progressions, um, and the the scales that you use are very you know the uh, when you when you're learning guitar. Um, you know, the first thing, when they start teaching kids to solo, the first thing they teach them is pentatonic scales. And so, you know, it's it, it, it's like the chromatic scale, but with some notes thrown out. So there are only five notes that you play, um, and you kind of memorize these hand positions for it. And then if you're playing the blues, you play the pentatonic scale um, in the minor key. Um, and so... You know, really, like if you're doing like the mainline basic blues, you're soloing with five notes. You know, and like you'll get like different octaves of those five notes, and you know, there's all kinds of creative, crazy shit you can do with different hand positions. But you know, like it's it's this this very intentionally limited palette that you're handed, and you know, and the fact that you're soloing in the minor key while you're over the major key, like kind of limits. You know, limits you further and boxes you in. Um, so the whole thing is just kind of about like you're going to work through these parameters, you know. And I don't know, like you know, if you're working in indie rock, like sure there are parameters, but they're they're a lot more wide open. Um, yeah. What about disco? Would you say disco is a limiting style? I. I'm I am learning to respect disco in ways. I, I think you can do a lot in disco, I guess. But there sure I mean, yeah, there's limits to disco. Like there's I'm trying to think of what the most limited style would be. I don't know. Maybe like goth, because you can only be it can only be so many beats per measure. <laughs> yeah, it's gotta be Or shoegaze. Yeah. Shoegaze, you can't even have notes. That's not fair. That's right. Nothing over nothing over quarter notes. Nothing faster than that. I don't know. Um, no, and I mean, I don't want to shit on the blues by saying it's limiting, but, like, it really, like, of all the, like, subtypes of rock and rockish, it's the, the one I know of that is the most defined by, like, well, these are, here's what you got to work with. Yeah, I guess it's another way to look at it. Is it's like a, it's very structured. Like there's a structure to it that's yeah. that's defined. Yeah, there was in Prince's book, the the one that like or that weird thing where the guy. Do you remember this? Like a guy had signed on to like write a book with Prince, and he'd worked with him for like three months when Prince died, 
And so then he just like pushed the book out that was like, most of it was actually just about him talking to Prince about <laughs> writing the book. I guess that's the, Good. I guess that's the, like the studs turkle approach to. Yeah. And maybe that's the only way you could do a book with Prince. But there's this one part that always sticks with me in that where he's talking, you know, in the process of like Prince deciding whether or not if he's going to be the guy to do the book. He says something to Prince like, um, you know, I really like the, uh, I really like your funk songs because, you know, you just, you do so much, you know, everything you do in them is just magic. And Prince gets really pissed and he's like, there's no magic in funk. Funk is all rules. If you can't see the rules in funk, then you just, that's on you. I cannot see the rules in funk. Uh, I, I feel like though, that's the, you know, like trying to. That's that's like something you say to try to make Prince like you, and like no matter what you say, is yeah. you're you're probably screwed. He's uh, especially because like he's heard it before. Yeah, and, uh, as if he's not just like surrounded by psychophants trying to trying to get in. I don't know, high flying baby. High flying baby. Um, you know, I the the vocal when you said it sounded like Wolfman Jack. It does. Yeah, I, that's totally right. Uh, to me, like some of the songs on here sound stonesier, and this is one of them because like Jagger also has kind of a Wolfman Jack mode he can go into, and so that that strikes me as interesting. The production of the drums on this song and the whole album poor. Yeah, like it just again the guy the guy's playing his ass off. Yeah, you just wonder, like, I don't know if they didn't have the, like, budget to record it properly, or they didn't mix it properly, or what the... I did some looking, I didn't go too deep, but I did a little looking on, um, what was the name of it again? It was Bell Sound, is the studio, and it was, like, this old-ass studio um, that that was put together in the 40s, Um, and I, you know, and it kind of died out. Like this was one of the last major records recorded there, and so I, I just, I wonder if it was just like this old shitty facility that just didn't have the gear to get a good drum sound. Yeah, I don't know. It's just, it's hard, it's hard for me to think about that because now we're in the era where you can basically record at home. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it just is a different time. Yeah, it's. It yeah you know it's just inaccessible now like there's that that space but I don't know harmonica blowing in here uh, it it probably could have done without the harmonica personally but uh, not not my favorite that's the if you're John Popper second <laughs> blues traveler reference you, you know like that's the only part he's like. it should have been more harmonica <laughs> if if there's any night when like a lot of Blues Traveler references are warranted. I think this is the night. This is it. Um, slide guitar part on this is great. It did hit me that it is almost literally the same part that Blues Hammer plays in Ghost World. It's awesome. I mean, it, it's it's like sitting on a much cooler bed here. <laughs> my favorite my favorite part about that scene is is all those people that are just like. Blues Hammer! Yeah! 
God, that that is magnificent. Fantastic. <laughs> I uh, so the Blues Hammer song is on Spotify. Oh, no, is it really? I'll, I like, have to, I'll have to check that out. I occasionally who, put it. Who on actually playlist. performs it? Does it, it say? It's just credited to Blues Hammer. <laughs> <laughs> I think I read. I think I read that it was just like a guy who was, you know, one of the someone who was involved in the production of the movie was like, I can, I can put a song together, but it's credited to Blues Hammer. It's it's such a like, it, it's really a telling scene because like this like well well renowned like blues singer is opening for blues hammer yeah. and like nobody gives a shit about it except for steve buscemi <laughs> man not only that movie is great and that might be steve buscemi's finest hour that's yeah. I mean, it's tough to pick but he's so great in that he is awesome in that movie oh, anything else on high flying baby no let's let's just... move on to to city lights City Lights. Uh, so this also sounds... The two things that jump into my head that I think are kind of intertwined on their own. This, this sounds a ton like Let It Bleed era stones. You know, just like... like it. it I, got, I guess I got more of a like Steve Earle, New York City or Telephone Road type of vibe. I can see that too. It's... It is more countrified. Well, that's in the other point of comparison I had. It makes me think of Graham Parsons' Streets of Baltimore. Yeah, that's um, a yeah, that's a good that's a good comparison. Yeah. I mean, there's no King Kong reference in Streets of Baltimore. <laughs> True. In this one, he buys a Stetson, and no one's buying Stetsons in any of those other songs. And I mean, something that to me, like, it's interesting to me that like this, you know, kind of harkens over to this other stuff, but. Man, this is one where listening to the words did not like. I liked this a lot more before I paid attention. Movie stars are autographing. <laughs> I mean, that, that, a little bit of a credit, a little bit of credit there, just because I've never heard that used as a verb before. <laughs> There's so many just groaner rhymes in this. Yeah, that it, it's it sucks when that when you read the lyrics and it makes it worse. <laughs> because I think what they're going for is kind of that like country boy can survive ethos yeah you know so like uh you know like essentially the the plot of the patrick swayze movie next of kin (laughs) Um, which i mean i I feel like is one of his more underrated movies personally it's a deep gut but bill paxton is in that as well but you know it's sort of this like yeah, that's why I think maybe that's why it reminds me of Telephone Road in New York City because it's like it's clearly this country person yeah. that's been like dropped into a city. Yeah. And and you know like is sort of experiencing it in real time. Yeah, and that's that's totally like the the narrative that just comes up over and over and over. This one um no, yeah, I like that there is a, a narrative to this. It's nice to have a story song. I like that it's got so there's you know piano in this that's much more well behaved than some of the other piano songs. Some of the other songs on this album, the piano sounds <laughs> sounds like just kind of old west whorehouse piano. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, this one it, it sounds nice. <laughs> it's like Westworld. It's the <laughs> yeah the tinkly player piano. Um, cool echoey guitar parts here. It's a good song. Like I know the, the lyrics themselves aren't good, but I, I do kind of like the part where he says, "Got to see the Empire's tallest building." Yeah, 
where the plane shot that big monkey and killed him. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's pretty rad. That, like, that, I, I, when I got to that line, I literally, like, head lift up and started laughing as I was walking down the street. Uh, you know, on the flip side, I do feel like... <sighs> I was thinking this... I was listening to this song, and I was thinking, like, you know, these guys don't really care about, like, great vocal performances. <laughs> Yeah, I think I, I think that's sort of a. I don't know that maybe that's where the maybe that's where the proto punk comes from. Like that's kind of a yeah, it's sort of a hallmark of punk is that you know like the vocals are. The vocals aren't always supposed to sound like you're like you're singing them. Yeah, I think you're right. I think that's a good catch. Um, but you know, like it it does help. You know, you just you compare this to like a to like a Moonlight Mile or something like that. Yeah. And you just get a lot better vocals on Moonlight Mile than you do. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Uh, I don't know. But it's. I mean, it's still a good song. Yeah. It just is no, not. I don't. I, you know, I, I, I want to have like an asterisk attached to basically every song here, where I'm like, even if I'm. Even if I have stuff to criticize, like they're all fun to listen to, and like the record is fun to listen to. Yeah, it's just you know, sometimes the, it, it invites criticism. And sometimes they cover Randy Newman. Yeah, I what the fuck? It's I'm, so strange. I'm super. I I feel like Randy Newman. I guess I'm not. You know, like we're not young, but I still feel like somehow we are. Too young to appreciate like some truth about Randy Newman that pre-exists us. Yeah, I think he's still trading off that like Muppet Show fame. Yeah, uh, or um, Toy Story. Or? Toy Story too. Yeah. Wait, so what's his Muppet Show? He was on the the Muppet the TV show, the Muppet Show. Okay. Uh, I, I thought not every episode. He was on an episode <laughs> of the Muppet Show. Uh, somehow, I thought you were going to say that he was the inspiration for Ralph the Piano Dog. No, oh, that would like, make sense. Like, I would be. It's hard to express how much I would respect that. I feel like we'd get a cease and desist letter from the Henson family if we made that claim. Yeah, so. can't make that claim. But Randy Newman, like, like. It, to me, like lots of people whose taste I respect, who are generally a little bit older, you know, just like five years older than us, are you know like have this respect for Randy Newman that I just I don't I, I don't have in me, and I don't know what I'm missing. I don't know. It's maybe because you don't like the movie Major League. I love the movie Major League. Doesn't doesn't he play the piano in the Major League? Maybe. I mean, I haven't seen it in. I don't know if I've seen it since high school, but like I watched that. What? So I think he plays the I think he plays the song that. Oh, yeah, I think you're right. I could be wrong on that. No, I think you're right. I just I you know I had no. He just always I don't know. He's kind of a weird looking guy, and he always wears those big fucking glasses. Yeah. It's just like. I don't know. It's, it feels to me like he's one of those guys who who the people are like, well, that guy's interesting. Let's <laughs> refer to him as. Uh, Let's refer to him as uh, an innovator. Well, I, you know, I, I guess if you play the piano and you can convince can convince people you rock, you're yeah, you're playing at a speed I can't, you know, I can't compete with. Do you feel like though, if 
I felt like that the song "Have You Seen My Baby." It feels like like it's what the Stooges would sound like if if they were like blues focused. You see, I uh, again like weird weirdly close to me. This sounds like Ziggy era Bowie. Okay, it sounds yeah, like I can see that the yeah. Spiders from Mars. You know, like backing you know, <laughs> a night when Bowie couldn't play. So <laughs> they had some other guy who can't sing as well come out. Um, you know, but so yeah, like same you know, closely related. Yeah, do you feel like it's? Uh, I don't know. I kind of got. I kind of got a little bit of a like Casino Queen, Wilco's Casino Queen vibe to it. Yeah, I, I think that vibe is all over this record. To be honest, that's true. There's a yeah. lot of that, um, which is is great. Like that's you know, that's that's a mode of music that I love. I the, the weird thing to me, you know, getting back to the Randy Newman thing, like I was having trouble. I know that he writes on piano, and like this does not sound like a song that could have been written on the piano. And I mean, I, it was, and I guess that's just like a, a mark of how bad my imagination is <laughs> that I can't see it. But I can't see it, even though I know I'm wrong. I can't see it. Uh, yeah, it's it's weird how people can do that. How people can write on the piano and then translate it to a to a rock act with. I mean, I get it. If you want to, re- if you want to record "Hunky Dory," yeah, like you could write that on the piano because a lot of it is played on the piano. Yeah, and yeah, it, and I mean, like, it's not. I don't know. You know, clearly, like, all the instruments are using the same musical system. Like, it's not, it's not magic to go from one to the other. But I just, I guess, I just, I don't expect, I don't expect piano songs to rock. Yeah, me either. It's like uh, it'd be like if there's some visionary who wrote on the baritone <laughs> and was just like okay here it is in baritone let's translate this to i'd love to see it huh? I don't know. um anything else on, i don't that? think so it's funny like i know randy newman is supposed to be like this great lyrical guy and like the lyrics left no yeah, I wonder if no it's if, if it's just like he looks like a guy that, that's kind of run down. I don't know if that <laughs> maybe that adds to his. You know, it's like uh, it's like Towns Van Zant. Like when he rolls up on stage, you were probably like, "Whoa, oh, this guy's gonna." Have, this guy looks rough. He's got something to say. <laughs> he didn't come out looking like this just to say nothing. Um, yesterday's numbers. Yeah, my notes say a rocked-up lover, lover's poem or a lo-fi version of Blues Hammer. Yeah, with you on both. I, I feel like, you know, it's country blues, um, but, like, this weird power pop feeling. And, like, if the guitars, you know, if it had more distorted guitar than acoustic guitar, you could tell me it was Badfinger, and I'd be like, okay, sure. Again, these guys don't give a shit about polished vocals or... I do like the the way it kind of it slows down uh, where the chorus is, where it's like I want to know, you know, and yeah. there's like these pauses in there. It's really it's kind of a cool effect because it they don't do it anywhere else in the song except for right there. Yeah, and there's lots of there's lots of cool delivery like built around the song. I like the Have you ever been alone? So long you couldn't cry. Like that 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 works. That's really cool. Yeah, it does feel sort of like uh, feels like country, country teary sort of. Yeah, this one. So uh, listening through, you know, the, on, on the listen through, I was like, really, like I'm gonna pay 
close attention. This is the point where it really started to hit home to me. How many of their songs are just about being horny? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, most of them. That's kind of... That's kind of St. Vincent, too, though, right? Like on that one, But that's the thing. On that one album, that's yeah. like the concept album about being horny. Um, you know, I, I think about... So our friend Tom, I remember like I went... Notoriously horny guy. Notori- yeah, just the biggest horn dog in the world. But I remember in college, I went to I went to Ames to see the Stones. Um, I was at that show as well. Excellent. Stone's power. That's right. Ames power. Where the guy from Blind Melon kept saying, thank you, Des Moines. <laughs> you know, close enough. Yeah, what does he care? Yeah. yeah. Um, but I, I remember Tom was like really disappointed in me that I would go, you know, that I would drive hours to go see the Stones because all the Stones, you know, he, he was like, well, all they ever sing, all they ever do is sing about sex. And um, Fair. Uh, but I mean, that's the thing. Like, I at the time, I felt like, oh, God, he's, you know. And drugs. Well, yeah. So at, at the time, I felt like Tom had like totally like like I could not counter that because because of the the profound truth. Now, like I think like he was totally wrong because like you know the Stones do have a lot. I mean they they sing a lot about being horny. <laughs> they got other things going on, including drugs. Um, but you know, to me, like like if if you're looking at like why the Stones were the stones and why the flaming groovies were the flaming groovies i think like just having something to talk about other than being horny is and it helps and i think just having you know like mick jagger is just sort of a force of nature right like you'd be like what does this guy do exactly like he's prancing around stage but he really he he sort of makes it right like he's He's the, you know, like nobody's going to go see a band fronted by Keith Richards and, and, you know, Ron Wood. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, apparently no one went and saw a band fronted. None of these guys' names stuck with me. Yeah. Cyril something. I mean, I feel bad because they're they're clearly really talented musicians. They're just not, you know, not just... I don't know. No, same. Didn't work out for him. No. Um, yeah. So this is another song though, where like I'm kind of shitting on it as we talk, but I quite enjoyed listening to it. And like, it's, no, it's, it's going to be a really good album. It's it's. I mean, it's just sort of a. At least for me, it's an album that totally escaped my periphery for years. Absolutely. Yeah. And this is which is weird because I spent a lot of time traveling in these like alt-rocks or alt-country circles. And you yeah. would think this would be one that gets flagged as... But I, I honestly believe their ridiculous name <laughs> keeps people... Probably, yeah. yeah. These guys and the Lovin' Spoonful, yeah. <laughs> who were also on Kama Sutra. Um, <laughs> Even better. Maybe it's maybe the A&R guy at Kama Sutra is just, <laughs> just an insane person. Yeah, just like... Like he's just <laughs> terrible at his job. <laughs> this very abrasive man who just wants to annoy you. Uh, um, anything else on yesterday's numbers? No, no. We can move um, on to Teenage Head. I want to take a quick beer refresher yeah. break? Yeah, let's do it. And then, all right. So then I says to the guy, I says... 
I don't. I didn't have anything else. I just. I love it. Like I love that figure of speech. Yeah, that kind of like folksy intro. Yeah. Um, yeah. It reminds me of that uh, that time we were in uh, Christensen's and or we actually were in the Turf Club, and the guy from Christensen's came over oh, to the Turf right. Club, and uh, he kind of used that where he's like. Yeah, so the city comes up to me and it's like, we're going to take two of your parking spaces and turn it into a bus stop. And I'm like, the hell you are. <laughs> what a weird thing. So he's like, he's at one, he, he runs a music bar, walks down the street to another music bar to just try to drum up business? Yeah, I guess. Like, uh, what? what well, he was, wasn't he looking for you? Because you, you were, we were in Christensen's. Yeah. To try to, because you were trying to book a show there. Yeah. And I think he was supposed to be there, and we and just got tired of waiting for him in this shitty bar, and so we went over to the turf the club. Turf, that's right. I swear to God, though, I maybe I'm just like shading that event in my memory, but I, I thought I remember a time when he was. Going around at the bar at the turf club, like just telling people, like, "Hey, there's good rocking over at Christians." He did say that he he's like, "I got to get one of them Summit beer signs because that that's what that's what brings the young people like you guys in." Like, it's fair, <laughs> but <laughs> there are other factors at play. You know, not feeling like you're going to get murdered. <laughs> Did you know that Summit EPA is considered like dad beer? No, I've heard that several times. No, I didn't know. I did not yeah. know that. And I like Summit EPA, but I don't have kids, so go figure. Yeah, I feel like that's that should be my Twitter handle is dad jokes, no kids. <laughs> <laughs> that's you know, that's not a bad niche. Oh, um. <laughs> Teenage Head. Yeah, so do you feel like the intro to this sounds like Barracuda, or is it yes. just me? Yes, yep, good note. I have that note, too. Uh, Hardish intro, which I guess means a Zeppelinish intro. True, yeah, the female Zeppelin. Yeah. Um, yeah, I I don't know, this song. I mean, like, it's not bad, but it's it's pretty try-hard. Yeah, and I, I feel like... If you're presumably they were adults when they wrote this song, yeah, that like there's just something weird if you say if you're writing a song that says she's a teenage love machine and you're an adult, yeah, that's a like isn't creepy. there something that's just like I don't know, I guess I don't have that issue with like that big star song 16, isn't it 13? 13, yes, 13. I always read that as like they're both 13. Yeah, but the person who wrote he wasn't thirteen well, sure. when he wrote it, right? Sure, but I, so I mean, like, <sighs> it seems more wholesome, though, right? Yeah, like, you know, like it's okay if you're. To me, the big star song, and like I haven't looked closely at the words, so it might be that I'm projecting okayness where it isn't. But I, I always read that song as like Chilton's, you know, writing about young love, like in the character of like one kid who's. You know, talking to another kid. Yeah, and I do think that's what's happening. But this is. I, I just, it's just weird to me because there's a piece where it's like California bread, half boy, half a man. Like, yeah. I feel like if you write this song, you're more like full boy than. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, to, to me, like you're right at what bugs me about this song that it's like it's just so pandery to you know it. It to me feels like they're like you know horny eighteen year olds who think they are badasses. That's our base. We need to write them an anthem. Okay, here we go. Yeah, it's just got to be like I do like the last line. Like I'm a child of atom bombs, rotten air in Vietnam. Yeah, like that's pretty rad. That's a good line. But the rest of it is just like, got got a woman. She's my hopped up high school queen. Yeah. It just I don't know. It just it's a little cringy for me. It's pretty cringy. Um, this one like like it's a it's a good rocker song, but you cannot listen to the words at all to to maintain the. No, I mean I feel like I need a shower. Yeah. I mean I guess that's probably not fair because I, I you know like. If you look at if we stay with our Stones comparison, like uh, there are some pretty cringy Stone songs. There are some pretty cringy Stone songs. Um, you know, know, Brown Sugar, Some Girls. Yeah, I, Some Girls. You can maybe make an argument that they're like, I don't know. You would hope that's satire, but I I am not sure it is. I I I think it is, but whether it's successful satire or not, uh, Brown Sugar, there's just there's no defense like that. <laughs> that's Brown Sugar is no good. Um, the, the different a, a key difference between Teenage Head and Brown Sugar is that the Stones didn't name the album Brown Sugar. True, that's a good point. Which I guess I never thought of it in a sexual context until I re- until I looked at the lyrics for this song. Yeah. Like, I mean, why didn't they name the album like "Whiskey Woman" or something? Yeah. Like, presumably, "Whiskey Woman" would be over twenty-one. Yeah. Although maybe not in nineteen seventy-one. Yeah. Know, the eighteen, at least. Yeah. At least a voting adult. <laughs> So, do you know the Bowie song "Sweethead"? Mm-mm. It's it's like an it's one of the outtakes from Ziggy Stardust that like you know was just kind of it didn't really you know only like super fans who tracked on bootlegs had it before the nineties um, and it kind of sucks, but like does it suck worse than that song about the dwarf? Oh, the laughing gnome. Yes. I, <laughs> Sucks in a different way. I think I prefer the laughing note. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, uh, but the, the, the weird thing about Sweethead is it, it it's like the rare Bowie song that just feels too tryhard. You know, where it's just you can just feel him going like, "Oh, aren't I naughty?" Um, and it, it you know I get that same vibe out of this. It's just, maybe this is a thing where like I can't you know I, I wasn't alive until three years after this. Maybe there was like some kind of genuine rebellion in using the word head in a song title back then. You know, you're really getting away with something in a way that I can't access now. But it just sounds so fucking corny and so like It's like spelling boob with your calculator. Exactly. That's exactly what it is. It's like it's just it's like come on. That, 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 yeah, that's it. <laughs> Case rested, mic dropped. <laughs> and they named the fucking album after I, I know, and I don't understand that, because it like there's so many good songs on the album, but they... Uh. 
I, I guess when you're when your Kama Sutra AR guy tells you to be subversive, <laughs> yeah. you you listen. I mean, that is probably what was. I mean, I don't know if that was for sure exactly the arc, but that had to have been a factor. <laughs> Some sweaty fucking Kama Sutra guy. <laughs> Push it to the edge, boys. Come That's on. That's right. <laughs> Nothing mainstream sells units. <laughs> Make sure to wear your bodysuits when we do the cover shoot. God, that is. If. <laughs> If you have if you have time, Google the album cover for it's this because so it's amazing. It's like <laughs> it's like a bunch of people got together and didn't know they were getting their picture taken. <laughs> that is the vibe. Oh my god. Oh, um, my my last note on this song is that like you know if I'm shitting on it, I, I do want to acknowledge that like if you zone out the words, it's a great rocker, just one with. Kind of shitty lyrics and crap drum sound, but still a good rocker. Yeah, it's like, uh, it, it's sort of, I mean, this isn't a perfect analogy, but it's like, uh, you know, some of the songs on Husker Du's Candy Apple Gray. Yeah. Like, if you just disregard the words, they're really good. Yeah. Like, you know, like, if you look at the words and you're like, she went and got a bunch of junior mints i love that song That's i love that song. song too i just don't like that line <laughs> uh, fair enough i mean yeah i'm i'm not here to defend that line <laughs> like that's what i'm saying though it's a great song it just it devolves if you look at like yeah. i don't think it uh, i got you. you know you're like you're not unlocking shakespeare with the <laughs> with the lyrics to that one it's I do a, think. I mean, I think that album would actually be pretty rad if it was produced differently. If it, yeah, if it had an edge to it, it would. It, it would sound. I mean, I think it would be an ass kicker. Uh, but the words on some of the songs are uh, a little. Box of Junior Mints is a little too like Seinfeld plot. It just seems like like it just seems like there were like okay, what can we say here? What do you do? When you, oh, Junior Mints. When you're in a movie, Junior Mints. <laughs> Yeah, just put it in. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, um, move on to yeah. 3220. Which I learned from Googling it is also an ammunition. That's, I mean, I think that's the... that's the. Yeah, shows what I know. Yeah. I'm like... Oh, man, you clearly didn't take uh, hunter safety class in fifth grade. <laughs> You're right, I did not. <laughs> I don't think I was a very safe hunter at the end of that class. I don't think it's about uh, I don't think it's about the safety so much as uh, as getting a gun in your hand. And I think that is correct. Um, yeah, you know, this is another one. Like, I do like the song, but again, just kind of like a little cringy, and it's just all you know. It's all like I'm a badass. Yeah, it's got it's like a. I don't know, it's like a blues version of One Piece at a Time, kind of? Yeah, except One Piece at a Time is funny and cool, and this is just... It is... Yeah, I was... I did not get a chance to go back and listen to the original Robert Johnson song. Me um, neither. Yeah. Which I think might have helped me, but... Yeah. Well, I mean, like, so I understand that there is this thing in blues of, you know, using a song to declare that you're a badass, and, you know, like, I think... It's not just blues. I mean, yeah. see Ted Nugent's entire catalog. Totally, but fuck him. Um, I, I remember reading a thing about, like, that was kind of one of the things that Bo, Bo Diddley, like, just picked that up from the blues and ran with it. And, like, half of his songs are just like, I'm Bo Diddley and I'm so bad, you don't want to fuck with me. 
but he fucking pulls it off, you know. Like, like well, I mean, it's Bo Diddley. Yeah, like, it just it, you listen to it, you're like, this is so fucking awesome. Yeah, you wear a rattlesnake for a necktie, and it looks good. This, like, I like this, but it's just kind of a little like, okay, you let up on the horniness to let us know you're a badass. I'm like, it's sort of like it would be sort of like trying to pull off a beastie, the Beastie Boys, if you weren't one of the Beastie Boys. Yeah, like it would just come off as like totally stupid and hollow. Yeah, like some people can just roll with it. Yeah, I, I mean, there's a lot to like here. The slide work is nice. Yeah. I like the vocal delivery. Excuse me. It reminds me of um, a show that we've talked about a couple of times, uh, Cocaine and Rhinestones. He always played it out with this like old-timey country blues song about cocaine, and the vocal delivery on this sounds exactly like that, so I think they're like tapping into an existing thing. Um, this one, you know, most of the record has terrible drum sounds. On this, I'm pretty sure the percussion part is a washboard. Fucking A, like that's that's making lemonade. Yeah, I mean that's old school. Like if you really want to get the the blues aesthetic, yeah. washboard. You can't mic my drums, mic this motherfucker. The thing is, I, I feel like it's impossible to play a washboard without looking like a complete jackass. There was um you know, my old band derailer. I don't know if you caught this, but there was one one of our songs that was an alternate uh James Bond theme. Uh, Bob would play the the washboard. Did he? I mean, did he just debase himself with the washboard, or did he? Well, he he took a weird approach to it. So our friend Grant had a washboard for of course. some reason. Why, was, why yeah. wouldn't he? Yeah. So you know, Bob would borrow that, but it, you're supposed to put thimbles on your fingers and like drape the washboard around your neck and like yeah, basically rub your own chest with that's, the washboard. I think that's why it. you look ridiculous. You look like a puppeteer. Yeah. So Bob Bob wouldn't do that. He would have it draped over, but he would have drumsticks and just kind of like drum on his own chest. Maybe that was more dignified. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Either. I think it's the fact that you're wearing a washboard for me that <laughs> like it's it's one step away from wearing like the shirt that says 50% off or wearing the sandwich board that says 50% off of everything in store. Yeah, I got you. I just yeah. I don't know. It's a weird hang up I have. I Fair just enough. I was I was excited to detect it here, especially since it's sitting next to I mentioned earlier that some of the songs on here have um, have the piano part like this. This song is just swimming in whorehouse piano. Like it just, it sounds like cowboys are coming in off the trail. And so a band. This is sort of an aside, but a banjo is a is essentially a snare drum, right? With pretty much snare drum head with uh, it, strings. Why yeah. has no one made a banjo with a washboard? It's a good question. I feel like this is an untapped opportunity. Yeah, I, I think. I, think I mean that right. that is a way to play the washboard with some dignity. You know my my resonator guitar sounds like an electric banjo, and it is basically like you know it's not not a washboard, but it is the bridge sitting on. Um, a metal cone that's sitting on another metal cone. Could we just make the cone look like a washboard? Yeah, that's. I think like the opportunities right there. It's just, just cash and checks yeah, left and right. Let's, we'll, we'll, we'll have a design meeting after we get done recording. Um, yeah, 3220. Anything else on it? 
Not really. Yeah. Stay away from this guy's woman, man, or he'll ventilate her. Yeah, I, don't I, I love that as a slang. That is kind of that is funny. It's, yeah, with a thirty-two twenty round, probably. Yeah, on a forty-four frame. Yeah, I mean, I'm more of a twenty-nine or sixty-four type guy, but. <laughs> 220, 221, whatever it takes. <laughs> not, the last, not the last Mr. Mom reference of this podcast, that's for sure. <laughs> oh, evil-hearted Ada. Evil-hearted Ada, which sounds like somebody sounds like somebody trying to sing as Elvis Presley. Yes, that's the same same note I've got. Like this is this this whole song is just like Sun Records era Elvis pastiche, and I. Fucking love it. Yeah, it's like, like fan fiction. Here for this. The, the voice sounds good. The guitar sound is just right. This is just fucking rules. No, I it's, it's fun. It's a it's a super fun song. Yeah. Like, I'm sure they had a blast recording it. Yeah, you can hear how much fun he's having yep. singing it. He, like, starts just making noises to hear the what the reverb does to it. I love that there's this whole aesthetic. Like, like the Sun Records aesthetic is so distinct that you can just, like, drench something in reverb and, like... Okay, like you know exactly what this is supposed to sound like. Yeah, I mean, just think about like the first time somebody heard that. Yeah, like how mind blowing that must have been. Must have shit their pants. Just been like, this is amazing. My God, I've never heard anything like this. I, you know what this reminds me of? That is also really good Elvis pastiche. Like I'm not a big Misfits guy, but uh, but. (laughs) Well, shit, you're not. <laughs> there are a couple of songs that, that I'm really into. And I, I think my favorite Misfits song is American Nightmare. Um, it sounds a lot like this. Is the dog yes. farting on you again? He's he's a farter. <laughs> Do your worst. Uh, um, it's it's because I mentioned the Misfits. The, the Misfits. You hate the Misfits? Or you like the Misfits? They make him gassy. That's fair. Um... No, American Nightmare. Great, great song. Sounds a lot like this. Um, it's a lot bloodier because it's the Misfits. <laughs> what are you gonna do? Do you feel like the Do you feel like the Misfits are like are, are like a toned down version of Guar? Like yes. way toned down. Like yes, I think they're. <laughs> I think that's one way of looking at it. I think the other way to look at it is they're like a Guar that just didn't have the guts to go all the way. <laughs> To come up with like backstories for all the characters. Yeah. <laughs> they're they're the coward's squad. <laughs> the housewife squad, if you will. <laughs> uh, in fact, from the, the next time someone mentions the misfits, that's oh oh you mean the coward's squad? <laughs> <laughs> I think you could probably get some interesting debate there. Yeah. There's a you know yeah. I uh, all the talk online today has been, you know, Musk is uh, finalizing his ownership of Twitter, and you know, there's there's a lot of speculation. Like, is this it? Are we all going to have to leave because it's going to suck? And like, I hope that's not true. Just because like I want an arena where I can just go out and take on all comers by talking shit about the misfits. And yeah, I mean, do you think at Coward's Guar is taken as a Twitter <laughs> handle? It won't be in two hours. <laughs> or it will be in two hours. It won't be available. I think, I think the at the Coward's Guar is probably too many characters. <laughs> I'll figure it out. I'll make this work. Um, the other thing with Evil Hearted Ada, swinging it way back around, 
they do like the old timey guitar solo where it's just kind of chords jangled up and down like you know it's not like I'm actually going to play notes it's just I'm going to play the chords but go ding a ding a ding ding a ding a ding ding and like put a little more distortion on it and, like, yeah it's like a like a yakety sax style kind of yeah. yeah I we need more of that and maybe we do need more of that maybe maybe that's my mission is to steal that yeah I'd be the change yeah God, I might. I don't. I, you know what? I'm gonna try to learn this song. Excellent. I, 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 uh, as long as you incorporate the the part where it's like "Go Cat." Ha! I love that. Yeah. God, that's great. No, it's like uh, it, it's amazing. It's like uh, Bill Wills or something. Like just, <laughs> just owning your owning your inner yeah. Yeah. Uh, how can you not with that much reverb around? Uh, anything else? No, let's, let's move on to the doctor. So, between this song and like a bunch of Led Zeppelin live recordings that I've heard, I just get the feeling that like in the early 70s, boogieing was a much higher priority than, <laughs> than we can access now in our. Yeah, I mean, do, like Dr. Boogie, just it seems. And I'm try. I, I spent. A fair amount of time trying to figure out like what mow the lawn was a euphemism for. That's gotta be fucking. I guess, but like, does this make any sense? Because uh, you're too square, man. You gotta expand your mind. Because, uh, I mean, like, it's clearly a euphemism for something. It's got, I mean, given the tenor of the album, it's probably sex, but like, you know, you just like, I feel like the. You know, I feel like the the kid who doesn't get the joke, like, <laughs> like, like I can't get a euphemism that the flaming groovies <laughs> sort of an indictment of my character. Slang from before you were born. I don't know this. To me, like this, uh, <laughs> it's kind of fitting though, because like one of my notes here is that of of all the songs on the album, this is the one where the vocals. <laughs> Sound the most degenerate. Like, <laughs> just sounds lewd. Well, I mean, the whole thing is kind of degenerate, right? Like, you gotta mow the lawn if you want to get along with me. Like, it just it reminds me of those like really classy bumper stickers that you would see. It's like ass, grass, or cash. Nobody rides for free. Yeah. Like that's that's the vibe I'm getting for Doctor Boogie. That is absolutely the vibe. Like truck stop, you know, kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, which is weird because, like, so this is, like, the the lewdest song on a fairly lewd album. But it also sounds like 50s rock. Like, like the whole album has kind of a retro cast. But this, you know, if the last one was, like, Elvis, this just sounds more like, I don't know, not... I don't even know like a specific '50s rocker, but this just sounds like something you would hear. Yeah, like a chubby checker or something like yeah, that. Like it's, yeah, like it's produced that way. And the thing, note that I've got here is like at these guys' worst, they still sound like the world's fucking tightest bar band. And you know, like I assume that if you saw them live, it would just like blow the roof off yeah i mean it'd be incredible so much energy here dr boogie though (laughs) 
Yeah, it's the uh, proverbial turd in the punch bowl. Uh, I mean, like, I don't hate the song. I just don't. It, it just. I, I feel like you know. You were saying that there's a euphemism you don't get. I feel like the whole song is just like this vibe that I don't get. Yeah, yeah. But but it really is. It's it's in Zeppelin too. There's. I don't remember. I don't remember which live recording, but there's like this Zeppelin live recording where they're doing. I think it's whole lot of love, and it's like one of the things where they like go into like a fucking weird medley in the middle, and there's a spot where like plant, like like it's just the other instrument's cut out. It's just plant, and he's just howling about like we gotta let that boy, we gotta let that boy boogie, and he did boogie. And they're just like what? Why? Why do we? What yeah, is happening? I here? feel like the rest of Blood's Up on betrayed him there. Like, <laughs> like, they just, like that was a watch this type moment. Sure, Robert, you you do that. See how that goes over. I think you're right. I don't know. The early seventies were just you know a a boogie crisis. Yes, it was. The, the boogie wonderland was, you know, just not even not even a figment of anyone's imagination yet. Yeah, it's just it's kind of a stupid word. I feel like so. It, I don't know. Maybe that's the that's why I have the reaction I do to it. Yeah, I agree. It is pretty dumb. Um, and I got nothing else to say about it. Yeah, yeah. Should we move on to the the whiskey woman? Whiskey woman, like this. Is a, that's this, a great ender. It um, does not sound like it's great and it's clearly the same band but it 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 just is such a different vibe from everything else on the record i mean you could totally i I feel like you could see this alongside dead flowers or tumbling dice or torn and frayed like it could be on exile or it could be on uh you know sticky fingers yeah yeah it's it's that type of song though like it it's like they took all of the and it actually, the lyrics are actually pretty good. So yeah. I feel like they t- this is the one where they took all their took all their lyrical content and like focused it. Put on some this. thought in. It. I uh, so I'm interested to hear you say that. Like like what what connects? Well, because it's it's less you know, so it's still like horny, right? But. <laughs> It's a little bit more disguised. Sure, and it's like some emotion around yes. it. Uh, and maybe, oh, go ahead. No, yeah, no, that was just what I was going to say is that, like, it, it isn't, you know, kind of like, for lack of a better term, like, you know, like, you know, out on your front yard with your dick out. Yeah. Like, it's a little more nuanced. And I, I think, like, like, something clicked in my head as you were talking there. Like, I think that is the key difference. This is what I should have said to Tom Fitch in 1994. That, like, uh, the Stones sing a lot about sex a lot, but it's like, Generally, there's some kind of feeling, you know, there's a wider emotional picture attached to it a lot of the time. And, like, you know, like Dead Flowers is a song about a guy, you know, it's describing like. Yeah, someone reeling from a breakup. Yeah. I mean, I've never done heroin, but I can <laughs> I can relate to that song. Yeah, and there's like this emotional picture being painted. Um, and that's, you know, these guys don't do that most of the time, but in this song they do. And, like, it. Fucking, you know, it gives them the song that can you, you can be like, okay, well, here's the one for the canon, like this. Yeah, and I mean, it it's sort of it, it's like the pacing is a little weird because they put this song last. Yeah, 
Um, which is, I mean, I guess is, I'm sure there's a reason for that, but, well, it, but because of the other, the other ones here, like, how could you follow that? You know, what, what if you heard this and went into Dr. Boogie? True. Yeah. Like, maybe, I mean, maybe that's it. That's a good point. I didn't think about it like that. I just, you know, it's sort of your, I, most albums aren't like a, a, you know, these are grades A, A, you know, B, B, and then a bunch of ones that are really good, like B minus, B minus, B minus, A plus. Yeah. You know, it's just kind of a weird arc. I I don't think that's that unknown. I think if yeah. you've got, if you actually, I think if you've got like a slower song that you know is like gold, I think that's kind of a thing. Yeah, maybe. Like, think about, uh, the Weird Tales, the really good Golden Smog yeah. album, like the perfect Golden Smog album. You know, it ends with that perfect slow song, Jennifer Save Me, and that's not like anything else on the record. But they're like, we know this is definitely the Golden Smog album to listen to if you're Jesus, yeah. But I mean, a perfect fucking yeah. Record. You know, I'm trying thinking, to think what 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 would be second even down by the old down on the old stream probably. Yeah. I was actually, these guys make me think of the Golden Smog a little bit. Like, yeah. just in terms of the, like, we're great musicians, but we've got this kind of balance our greatness with, like, sloppy energy. Like, that's, you know, the, the faces kind of tap into that vibe. Yeah, for sure. And yeah. That's, that's, that's a good space to live in. So, this has always tripped me up. Is it the faces or faces? I think it's just faces, but it's so fucking awkward. God, to, I fucking hate it. I hate the talking heads do that too. And yeah. it's like, yeah. but you're talking about the band. So it's like, yeah. it just seems weird to say the band talking heads. Yeah. I, you know, I decided like I'm older than 45. Um, life is too short to entertain people's. Even though earlier on this podcast, I was saying that like, it's chicken shit to follow the rules of grammar if you're being a rebel. I th- this no the business is just a bridge too far. I cannot follow you there. Band names get a the. Sorry. Yeah, it's just when you're referring to them, it just sounds dumb. Yeah, it's it's, it's awkward at least. Oh, swinging around, back around to whiskey. I feel like my mission is just to derail your train of thought. That's <laughs> that's good. Yeah, there always has to be a push pull. Um, how cool is the? I, I I don't know what they're doing to the vocals here. Like you know, it's something with reverb again, but it's different from the Elvis reverb, and it just sounds so fucking cool and kind of creepy. Yeah, I mean, it really it it just sort of it, it makes it for a ballad like so a lot of times when you get these kind of ballads like it's either the lyrics or it's the vocal delivery uh, or it's the minimalist guitar that really that really sets the mood but i feel like it's all of that in yeah. this one yeah the guitar is fucking awesome there's like this you know it's a great song i mean it might be yeah. the best song on the album i maybe um but it's it, it just is you know, it's like it's almost like you. I have this thing a lot, and you know, maybe I wouldn't like this if I actually got this. But I'm like, why don't you record an entire album like that? Yeah, I, you know, an entire album like this might be tough, though. Yeah, you know, I mean, maybe it's, it's, maybe it would suck. I don't yeah. know. It, it. So the interesting thing, the cor- the structure of the song and the chords sound you no know, like this isn't in the vocal delivery at all, but 
the chords, it sounds like them like trying out, you know, let's do something Neil Young would do. And maybe some of Neil Young's good early 70s albums are kind of this extended out to an album. Like know. Landing on Water? Uh, no. <laughs> Not like Landing on Water, actually. Uh, I, don't even, I don't know if that album was recorded in the 70s. I, I think it was. It's. I, I was thinking more Harvest. But. Yeah. I mean, I guess it does. It sounds like it could be a Neil Young song almost, where it's like, it just has that weird, like you can't put your finger on what drives the emotion for you. Yeah. Yeah. Like I think that's what Neil Young does best is he like emotes. He's doing this weird David Lynch shit where he can like go straight into the emotional receptors of your brain and just be like, I'm going to interface straight with this and you're going to feel things you don't expect through my wizardry. It's a great fucking song. Yeah. Uh, Speaking of great fucking things, uh, Uh the covers that end this, did you pull up the Shaken All Over, the original? Holy shit, no. Yes. Johnny Kidd and the Pirates. <laughs> that is a magnificent cover. The album cover is amazing where he has like clearly like a he has an eye patch that appears to be drawn on. <laughs> I guess I didn't Google if he if he's That's actually the, missing an eye. But all he, the great eye patches are. But I mean the band is Johnny Kidd and the Pirates, so That's yeah, so so we're we're talking now about the the reissue version of this has like basically a third side that is just all blues covers. Yeah, um, the version and it just like the the feel changes. It like stops sounding like produced music and starts sounding like just roll the tape while they rock out. Yeah, I'm sure they had a blast doing that. They're just like just like hey, want to do another one? Yeah, yeah, let's do that'll be the day. The version is shaking all over. Fucking rules. Did like, you get like a Dick Dale like surf rock kind of vibe from it? Totally. Yeah, and and, and I'm here for it. And that's, you know, like, like that was what made me, when I was talking about Jack White earlier, like, their version of Shaking All Over is what kind of made that connection for me, because he did a version of that that was pretty good, but their version is better. And, like, like to me, like, that's the only thing on the extended version jams that is, like, yeah, in quality. I mean, so, like, Louie Louie is just something that has been covered by so many people. Yeah, like, and, and, you know, you can tell they're having fun, and that's great for them. And, like, I, I can't fault, like, okay, you know, they didn't put it on the album. Um, this is kind of the ideal situation is, like, you hear it and you don't need to listen. Probably the only song, though, Louie Louie, that has been covered by The Clash... MC5, The Fat Boys, Bruce Springsteen, and The Jefferson Airplane. <laughs> I'm confident that that is the only space yeah, that the, the Venn diagram connects. I agree. That the, the Fat Boys version of that, I was super into in eighth grade. Like, somehow in junior high, I was like, I don't know about this rap business. Oh, the Fat Boys did Louie Louie? Yes. <laughs> Get me the single. <laughs> I cannot remember which Fat Boys tape I had, but it was. Uh, do you remember their movie Disorderlies? Did you see that? I remember that they made a movie. Yeah. I didn't. You saw it? I've seen it. Yes. Is it? Is no, it? it's terrible. <laughs> How dare you? It's. Uh, 
And this is a this is sort of a common if you listen to the podcast a common theme for me. But I, I wanted to like it so badly. No. Nah. Like I wanted to like Crush Groove so badly. No. Nah. There's nothing wrong with that. I think that that always comes from a good place. I just you know like I just I didn't have it in me. It just is not. It's not, it's not a good movie. Uh, I mean that's you know you got to be. There's valor in recognizing that when that's appropriate. I've yeah. I mean, I had the opposite too, where I really wanted to hate something, and I like it. So that's that's yeah. That, that's kind of magic when that happens. I think. Yeah, I mean, I, I there just there have been a number of times where I'm like I'm like ah this is. You know the the, the worst of that for me was like. Rebecca was watching Bridgerton, and you know I'm just like fuck this. I don't have, you know it's slow, but I'm like I'm on the couch next to her playing my Switch, and just still I'm like I, whoa yeah that, that Duke has some problems. It's uh yeah I mean part of the problem is I think we came of age in a in an era where you know just our age and kind of the climate where it was sort of. It was sort of a too cool for school environment. Yeah. Um, on the on the on the flip side, you know, the world is awash in bullshit, and I, I don't know that it's a bad thing to reflexively expect bullshit on stuff. Like I think that serves us pretty well. It it does. I I feel like that is a that's a thing. That's yeah. That's good armor. Well, I want to make sure that I give you time to preview the next. Yeah, yeah. So um, I guess I just to to close this out, like extended the jams on the extended version. I assume, like my opinion is like you don't really need to listen to any of you know, like yeah. I mean, I'd stop at Whiskey Woman, honestly. I, not, I think that's yeah. I think that's a good stopping point. Shaking all over, pretty good. The rest of it is not. It's so sort of, uh, and this is going to date me, but it's like the. Uh, when when I was growing up, the big thing were CD box sets. Yeah, and the box set content you would usually get like like all these unreleased tracks. Yeah, and I would say seventy percent of the unreleased tracks are just garbage. You can see why they were unreleased. You're right. Yeah. Like that's, so, that's that, what we got here <laughs> for sure. Yep. Um, before we get to the next thing, um, I just wanted to quick check if you had to pick a favorite song. Probably Whiskey Woman, although I could be convinced of uh, City Lights as well. Hmm. Eh, maybe not City Lights. I don't know. I think I'd say Whiskey Woman. You? I'm going to go Evil Hearted Ada. I just, I love, like, if you do the early Elvis thing and do it well, like, I'm, I'm always here for that. And you have a verdict on the album. I I loved it. I mean, I think it's a I think it's a great album. I mean, I think I shouldn't say great. It's a very good album um, that has. I think it is sort of. It's like that. Uh, it's like that movie that you stumble across. Yeah. That you've never heard of, and it yeah. just it's like you know, like this is a pretty good movie. It's like it, it's like U.S. Marshals, where you start out and you're like, this can't be any. Hey, this is kind of fun. Tommy Lee Jones. It's, you're just a Wesley Snipes guy. I'm not. That's what, Wesley Snipes is pretty likable. He is. T- <laughs> <laughs> Wesley Snipes is not like in person. You think he's a likable? person? No, no. His, his screen persona is likable. I, I don't. I don't know the man. Well, you've you've seen more of the Blade movies than I have. So. <laughs> 
That's I've seen one. Uh, but it was pretty good. So. Also, just to just to put a cap on it, also in Major League, Wesley Snipes. That's right. Willie Mays Hayes. Yeah. Hey hey. Um my my so my verdict on this record, pretty pretty much the same. It's just really fun to listen to. It's not you know, I'm not here to argue that it's life changing in its lyrics, but if you want to hear like good seventies white guy blues, like this is this is about as good as you're gonna do it. Um and then yeah, that's that's it for Teenage Head. And the next album is the next album. There's a script here, man. Oh, I'm sorry. No, no, no. <laughs> the next album, I'm taking us in a very different direction. Um, the center won't hold Sleater Kinney. Oh, nice. Oh, I love that. Um, it's uh, you know, I, yeah. I'm. It's it's a different record from this. <laughs> it certainly is. Um, and and I, I, I want to issue a challenge to both of us right here on the record. Um, if we can tape that episode before the end of 2022. <laughs> I think we can make that happen. I, I think, you know, Kennedy wanted to put a man on the moon. That's what... <laughs> Um, well, I mean, we do live, you know, like six blocks from each other. It's it's hard. It's, it's tough. It's, it's it, but but we're in the terrifying inner city. That's true. So, that's true. Know, it's, it's it's a it's a very it's a very crime ridden six blocks. You had to like fight your way through the diamond dogs to get over here. I did. Uh, actually, uh, to get to the farting dogs. That's right. Um, <laughs> thank you for listening. I am Keith Pilly. You can find me on Twitter you know, for now uh, at Keith Pilly, and uh, I'm Chad Cook. And you can find me at the Coward's Guar. <laughs> but I was gonna register that you fuck. Uh, yeah, we would love to hear from you. If there's anything about this you liked or didn't like, you think we suck, you think we rule. Um, you know, you want a sample of the air of this stinky dog that we've been talking about uh, if you dug the show please tell people about it go to iTunes or Google Play or wherever and leave a review I think people find us on Spotify and Spotify has no review situation which maybe that's why people people keep listening maybe yeah that's, they just they don't know uh, thanks again and uh, we will talk to you sometime in the year 20 it will be this year as we dig into the center won't hold